the one and only Cliff Richard and the Hi, this is David Ghosty Wills, and welcome to episode 27 of the We Say Yeah podcast, a monthly unofficial Cliff Richard and the Shadows fan podcast where we review and discuss every single EP and LP in chronological order. This month, we'll be speaking with one of the leading lights of Cliff Richard research, Robert Porter, about 1963's When in Spain album. First things first, as you may remember, I have a ticket to see Cliff in London on November 8th, and this will be my first ever trip to the UK. Very exciting. But, as you also may remember, the US government made a mistake on my passport, so I had to send it back to get it corrected. Otherwise, I won't be able to leave the country. So here is a passport update. Passport update. Yeah, I, I, I don't have it. They, they haven't, they haven't done anything yet. Okay, so this month's episode is so jam packed with stuff that what we're going to do is save all of the comments and emails for next month's show. Because joining me right now is musician Daniel Martin, who you may remember from his time as lead guitarist in Bruce Welch's Shadows. Well, he has a fairly recent CD out, and I figured we'd start off, Daniel, by asking you what we ask every guest on the program. How did you discover the Shadows, Cliff Richard and the Shadows, or any variations thereof? Um, well, my godfather actually plays guitar and played in a big way then, you know, come home from work and he'd play, he'd play. And he, he had the Shadows records and played along to them when he got home from work. So that is how I got introduced to him and Cliff as well, because I do remember he had a Cliff um, sort of compilation album of the very early recordings, you know, all the great early rock and roll stuff from, from Move It probably to about, 62 maybe sure you know, the early stuff like nine times out of ten was on there and please don't tease and um so that along with the early recordings of apache and the savage and wonderful like all the hits really and just the fascination with the sound as i'm sure every guest probably tells you that that plays guitar i mean it's just the unique sound and and the band as a whole are, are unique they don't really sound like anybody else at all True. So that was your godfather. What about your your father? Well, my father is uh, not into. He's not a player. Um, oh, okay. But yeah, but he had a good CD collection actually as well when it comes to. But more a bit later, you know, more Beatles and uh, Beach Boys and things like that. But um, yeah, my godfather just taught me the basic chords. Or you know, we. It, I mean, when I really got into it, he'd sort of set me challenges like. Can you play the gallop in Apache, you know, because um, muting the strings and getting the plectrum over the strings as a, as a young boy is not as easy as it probably sounds. So there'd be little challenges like that we'd play and try and have fun with it, really, and just play for enjoyment. It was never really a, a career choice at that time, if you know what I mean, when I was well, I'm talking probably 12, 11, 12 years old now. So when did it become a career choice? Because it couldn't have been that much longer that you're working with Bruce Welch. Yeah, well, that came completely out of the blue, to be honest. Um, although I'd, I'd known Bruce for quite a long time. I, I, I wouldn't like to put years on it, but a few years anyway, and I'd I'd see him around the convention, you know, maybe the Pipeline convention, or I'd, and I'd go to his Shadow Mania event, and I'd played it 
with the tribute band, I was in the foot tappers, I think in 2008 or 2009. And then um, we'd just bump into each other at more and more events or whatever it was. And then he called me, I think, the year before to do the um, Jet Harris tribute section to be involved with that. And I'd been playing professionally then a few years with um, a singer from England called Dave Berry who had a few hit records. So I was starting to know what it means to play music professionally and sort of what's expected of you. And so he just called me up and said, unfortunately, Phil Kelly, who was, who's been his guitar player for a, a long time, um, was unfortunately not very well and not going to be able to um, make it. Would Would you be able to to come and play with my band. And obviously that's not a phone call that you, t- you yeah. say no to. No, um, no, definitely not. No, no. So, um, yeah, that's that's how I, it sort of came around. And then obviously we had to um, rehearse and get things together. And, you know, it was just, it was just, uh, just a great honor to be, to be doing it. Yeah. Lucky, just lucky really. Well, that's a good segue into talking about your new solo album because it's called The Man From Nowhere, and obviously the Jet Harris song, we all know The Man From Nowhere, is on, your version of it is on this album, and it does tie back into that Jet Harris tribute you mentioned. Absolutely, yeah. And it's a strange thing because I didn't really know him that well. I I don't recall ever working with him. Um, I never had that that the fortune to work with him, but once again, you know, with the conventions and the and the fan clubs, and I'd just see him around, and it, we'd have a chat, and I always felt like he was down to earth, a real down to earth character, and you know, just just like every guitar player, just wanting to get his notes right and put on the best show. I always remember him being nervous if i ever saw him before the show i always remember that but i always thought his track the man from nowhere was sort of a hidden gem really you know it was it was um it was sort of john barry-esque maybe james bond-esque in its atmosphere and i just thought it was a really cool track that i'd never heard anybody else re-record it or play it live or i'm sure people have but it i'd sort of always earmarked that track and to be honest being a being a session player, a sideman, you are always sort of the man from nowhere. You know, you kind of go from <laughs> town to town, city to city or whatever, and you sort of, people say, where are you from? And it's like, well, not really anywhere because I'm never there for long enough. You said James Bond-esque before, and your version of Man From Nowhere opens with this prolonged orchestral moment, which sounds like the opening to a James Bond film. Well, that was the in, um, sort of the intention of it. If it was always going to sort of open the record, and um, I'd, I'd written that introduction piece for the orchestra to play to tie the two bits together, because I, I, that was the only thing I did think about Jet's recording was, you know, you've got that build-up at the start, and it's like, oh, it just sort of opens and that's it, you know. And I thought, well, we'll try and create some suspense and some sort of nod to it. And I'm obviously a, a massive fan of John Barry's work on those early films. And um, originally I'd 
earmarked it to have Vic Flick join me on it, the guitarist on the original James Bond theme. And, uh, oh, wow. Um, through my work with Dave Berry, really, we'd sort of got in touch via email because he played on some of those original recordings. And, um, and, and he, I, I invited him. He says, oh, I'm retired now. You know, I'm not, not doing anything. So um, it didn't kind of work out for him to be on it. But that's the way it just lent itself. It just lends itself to that sort of style and atmosphere. So... Hopefully, we've tried to capture some of that in, in this recording. I know this project was done a little while ago, but where exactly were you recording it? Were you recording it at a home studio, or did you uh, go to a studio? Well, this was the, the, the whole idea with the project. It sort of started in lockdown, as many people's projects did. Right. And so I recorded my parts at home and did the arrangements at home. But the one thing I wanted to do and uh, this is this is not a knock on anything else that's good, but it's very difficult these days to find a record, I think, with real instruments on it. You know, like because the software's so good now that you don't really need to go to a proper studio and and record these things. So, I, but I wanted to capture that. So everything on there is is real. It's all real drums and real strings and real pianos. So um, we recorded the piano. It's uh, Steinway Grand, and a great piano player, arranger, Ray McLaughlin, a friend of mine, he played the piano on the whole record. And we recorded that in a place called Windmill Lane Studios in Dublin, um, which some some people might be familiar with. I think I think Van Morrison actually owned it at one point, and I know you too recorded the biggest. Yeah. It's, there. it's sort of the Abbey Road of Ireland, if you like. Um, so we recorded the piano there, and the string section was done in Bulgaria, would you believe? Um, with this, just the session orchestra that they use there because I'd actually worked with them on a record before, uh, someone else's record, just playing guitar. So I knew people and how they operated and knew they were knew they were great. You know, you kind of have to be if you're playing in an orchestra. Um, True. So um, that was done over there and the drums and the drums were done in Nashville, and the bass guitar on that track in particular was done in Sheffield by uh, Adrian Fountain, a friend of mine who used to play with uh, Dave Berry as well. So a mixture of places really, all put together from different studios and whatnot. So, But I recorded all my parts at home, actually, just um, with the home studio and and uh, did it that way. So, yeah, but it's all it's all real. There's no trickery on this. Who are some of the uh, musicians you have on this album? You, I know you have Alan Jones. Yeah, um, Alan has been a friend of mine for oh, since I started, really, since I was about 14 or 15 years old. I met him for the first time. And, and to be honest, he was the first person I'd ever met where I thought, oh, I want to do what he's doing and what he's done. You know, I knew he played on Live and Let Die by Paul McCartney and the equals baby come back and obviously his work with cliff and the shadows but he had a wonderful career that you could only dream of and he actually only lives 20 minutes away from where i am right now so uh, <laughs> he was a pretty uh, easy call to get on board and then there was other people that i wanted to work with so i've got on that's all right mama i've got a guitar player called brent mason which some people may not be familiar with but he's the most recorded guitar player in in history you know and, and has played on lots of country records. And to be honest, that was a, just a pure vanity project, that track, just to, <laughs> to uh, work with him. And uh, we've got a dobro player actually called Randy Cause on a track I wrote called In Your Eyes, which is kind of an acoustic, bluegrassy sort of folk instrumental. 
you know, you're always looking for something different just to augment whatever it is you're working on. And I just thought, oh, the Dobro might be cool. And he's from Nashville. And I knew of him from his work with uh, Dolly Parton. So I just called him up, said, oh, I've got this track. Uh, do, you, do you fancy putting a solo down on it? And he just says, yeah. So just things like that, really, just calling friends and calling people I knew or people that knew other people. And, yeah, that's how it came together. So just look, really, that these people had nothing better to do. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, it is true that everybody seemed to um, have some sort of a project, you know, during lockdown. I was saying when all of this was happening, I said, you know, the only pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is so many projects are going to come out of this because people are are going to channel their creativity into something. And obviously you have here. And you mentioned original compositions. You have a couple on here. Let's talk about the song Like They're Yours. Be the man that they can come to And wipe the tears when they feel pain You might not be made the same Or have been there from the start But no matter what, it'll never change How you feel in your heart Love them like they're yours Show them love that's all well, that, that song, um, really, I've got three uh, step children, three young boys, um, 11, 9, and 6. And it was just basically my message to people that are probably in the same situation as me where, you know, they're not your children biologically as such, but you feel a certain way about them or you feel that you, uh, you can have the same emotion maybe or you can have the same feeling towards people that you know aren't aren't biologically yours but you can feel love for them or care for them or whatever sure, it is. And, it, and it so it's just that that message really and and and, and as a and i hate to call myself a songwriter but i've written a few songs and been reasonably successful so i you know you're always looking for that message that may matters to somebody else i suppose so it was like it was just a feeling that i had one day and um it just came out better than probably i thought it would <laughs> um it's a funny thing because i was talking to somebody a few weeks ago about they were asking funnily enough asking me about that song as well and uh and, and they said oh as a songwriter you know yeah i've got a publishing deal and i've written a few all right ones but i mean like i remember going to uh down with with Dave very once to a the, you know where they put the blue plaques up around yes. London and they have a dinner to celebrate and at the at the dinner was uh, Don Black Les Reed and Tim Rice or whatever and you think they're songwriters you know <laughs> I, I they're real songwriters and uh, I'm just somebody that makes a few bits up you know but uh, to be honest we're talking about Bruce earlier on I mean. From my point of view of, of working with him, I know this may sound a bit of a wrong thing to say, but like I was never that bothered about the playing side of his career. I always thought that's wonderful. Like, and he, he is the greatest rhythm guitar player of all time, and the power that he's got, and and his contribution is is just I couldn't put that into words really. But you know, I wanted to work with him from a, a songwriter's point of view, a producer's point of view, and because of what he's written and what he's been involved in. And they're, they're the real class acts of this business. You know, they can keep churning out hit after hit after hit. 
And you know, I often sit there and I just think, how are they doing this? You know, like they've got something that I unfortunately don't possess. They're, they're on another level, you know. Uh, yeah. So yeah, just just listen and listen and learn and try to do your best. That's that's all I think we can all do. So where can people go to get the record? This record is at Leo's Den in in physical CD format because we don't do uh, physical CDs too much do these days, which I always think is a bit <laughs> of a shame. Not. But uh, it's it's at Leo's Den if you want it on CD, and it's there on Spotify and Amazon and YouTube Music and Apple Music and iTunes and. It's everywhere. <laughs> so I know, uh, you know, we had talked about you being on tour and trying to set this up. So what exactly are you doing at this moment? So if people want to follow up, follow up with you and, and maybe follow you on social media or what's going on exactly well, you know in your world? Uh, do you know what, David? I don't actually use social media. I'm probably one of the few, but I just, I just, I try to, I was in, I was on it for a long, long time. And then I found myself every day scrolling through it and achieving nothing in the day so I thought, I've, got to get, I've got to get off this thing you know um right. so, I, so i did but at the moment i'm on the road with uh, a band from the 60s that quite a few of the listeners might recognize and that's uh amen corner or now it's the new amen corner people probably remember them for the bend me shape me and uh paradise is half as nice and they had a they had a few hit records and that that band died out after I think about three or four years, but about 20 years ago, it was sort of brought back with the permission of the original uh, members. And uh, so that's where I find myself at the moment. And we're going around the world, basically on the, um, a few of its, they've got concert tours and there's some concerts abroad and some cruise ships as well. They're sort of happening as well. Mm-hmm. There's lots of places and lots of things happening. So, I mean, that's just a recent thing for me. Sounds great. Daniel, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast, and we look forward to, I don't know, maybe a, another record at some point in the in the future. You'll be man from somewhere at that point. Man from somewhere. <laughs> yeah, the man from somewhere. Maybe that, yeah, that's quite a good idea. Maybe I'll run with that one. That's Daniel Martin's cover of Dwayne Eddy's 40 Miles of Bad Road, as heard on his recent CD, The Man from Nowhere. And thanks once again for appearing on the podcast. All right, on to the main feature. Robert Porter has been documenting Cliff Richard's recording career online for decades now, so I was thrilled that he agreed to join me to discuss the When in Spain LP of 1963. We begin with that familiar question, how did you discover Cliff Richard in the Shadows? Well, it was really Cliff Richard. It was probably like many Americans in uh, the late 70s and early 80s. I remember, um, I, I certainly remember Devil Woman when I was a young kid, but certainly the early 80s, a little in love. And he actually had a little known U.S. single called Give a Little Bit More, which I was enamored of and just took off from there. I got that I'm No Hero album. and Yep. Yeah, I actually had the Xanadu soundtrack and fell in love with, with Suddenly as well. So Of, of course. <laughs> yeah, it was just an early 80s. And I, I think it wasn't until 
I'd go on to various record shops and I'd pick up little bits here and there. And I found odd little singles um, that have these fantastic B-sides. But I think the first Cliff Richard and the Shadows album I got was probably around the mid-1980s. And I got the 20 greatest hits. And I put it on. Of course, it was all from uh, the early 60s and late 50s. And I never even knew this existed. <laughs> so it was, right. yes. it was like, wow. I know, I know the feeling. This is very different. <laughs> But I enjoyed it. It was actually very good. So I still have that album. And, and uh, yeah, just grew from there. Cool. So how do we get from this early fandom to you putting together this website, CliffRichardSongs.com? Well, it's actually, I call it the Cliff Richard Song Database. But Cliff Richard Songs is the URL. It, it just started as something I was trying to keep track of my own collection, my you know all the different tracks and Where's all these little songs? And so I put them into an Excel spreadsheet. This is back in the 1990s. And uh, I also like to collect uh, bits of information about it too. So I thought, how do I attach all this information? And it originally had it in a spreadsheet. And then I just got the idea, let's just create a website. And so here we are. Well, it's great. It continues to be updated. I just saw that you updated it with information about Cliff's new book. And yep. tell us a little bit also about the Move It mailing list, which I'm on, and I bet a lot of our listeners are on that as well. Well, yeah, that started, that's actually kind of interesting. It was probably about the same time, maybe not quite when I started the database, but that was started sometime in the 1990s. I have it uh, recorded somewhere, but um, it was run out of the University of Hong Kong, run by a gentleman named Pui Ming Wong. And um, I was just looking around for a kind of community to join, mailing list to join up. And I joined and it was being attacked by spammers and and trolls and various people. And so I reached out to Pui and I said, hey, I um, I have experience running mailing lists and managing mailing lists. Do you want me to take over? And he said, please. So I did. And I cleaned it up and it's been running ever since. It did move out of the University of Hong Kong in about. 2008 or so he retired so then i moved it over to my website they have services there for a mailing list and here we are great well you know i have i guess unusual taste i think most people when they talk about their favorite early cliff and the shads records inevitably they mentioned me and my shadows mm -hmm. i said that 21 today is my favorite cliff and the shadows record the one we're going to discuss now when in spain yeah. released in september of 1963 is my second favorite Cliff Richard and the Shadows album, and I don't speak a lick of Spanish. We're interesting, yeah. I just think the performances are so good, mm -hmm. and I, I wasn't alone because this is a oh. foreign language record that hit number eight in uh, the UK charts. Yeah, I mean, I think it's actually a bit of an underrated album. Just because it is in Spanish, I think a lot of people overlook it. But yeah, it's, it's a fantastic Cliff Richard and the Shadows album, sure. So let's start with track one, Perfidia, written by Alberto Dominguez. And this was recorded on April 28th, 1963, overdubs done a month later on May 28th, 1963. Before I heard this version, I think of this as a Xavier Cugat hit.
the Shadows had already recorded their own version of Perfidia on the Out of the Shadows album, and that one is maybe a little more in the tradition of the Xavier Cugat version. But I said this on the episode where we talked about Out of the Shadows, and I stand by it. I actually prefer this version by Cliff in the Shadows. si con Dios hablar, pregúntale si alguna vez te dejado de adorar. El mar, espejo de mi corazón. To me, I I think one of the reasons it actually probably opens the album is because it's one of the few songs that was the backing track was recorded before the album in Abbey Road, if I'm not mistaken, because they did an English language version. And so it has such a strong Cliff Richard in the Shadows feel, not so much a Spanish feel. So it was easily, I think, that's probably why they started the album, because it was more of that style people were familiar with. And we'll be getting to that English language version of Perfidia in a future episode. We should have pointed out that nearly everything that we're listening to on this album was recorded in Spain. I mean, literally, they're when in Spain, they are in Barcelona recording most of this, not not this particular track. And I know I might have a reputation for making connections that never actually existed, but it sounds to me like Hank's guitar solo here was inspired by the solo on Buddy Holly's Words of Love. That's interesting. I never thought about that, but I think you're right. Yeah. So the next cut we have is Amor, 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 written by Ricardo Lopez Menez. I I may murder all of these names. I'm just going to tell you, I'm terrible at pronouncing things. Uh, Gabriel Ruiz. Mm -hmm. This was recorded same time as Perfidia, I believe, with overdubs in May of 63. Strings were overdubbed on this. Uh, Bing Crosby introduced this song, but I'm more familiar with it through Julio Iglesias. Not that I went out and bought a Julio Iglesias record, but he had a television commercial, which I guess was advertising one of his albums. And this was the song that played in the spot. I think it was Have Dinner with Julio as he's hawking his new record. For every woman who needs a little more romance, Columbia Records presents Julio Iglesias. America's Next Lover. We have to start meeting. Ladies. Julio. 
international songs of love from the man of the world, Julio Iglesias, on Columbia Records and Cassettes. I associate this more with Julio Iglesias than Cliff, but I really do like uh, Cliff's version. Amor, amor, amor Nasceu de ti, nasceu de mim, de la esperança It's funny too, you mentioned that, because when I hear this song, it reminds me so strongly of Constantly. Yes. And sometimes I see it in my head. And suddenly I'm singing constantly. It's like it just, I, I, I don't know, the melodies aren't the same, but I think the cadence, the background, the delivery, it's all just very similar. So I don't know. I'm just not that fond of it. I mean, his performance is good. Don't get me wrong. It's it's actually very well done. It's a great song. I just find I don't reach for it very much. I guess, I, I guess part of the problem is I'm not much for the cliff ballads, but there you go. <laughs> okay. Well, we move on to Frenesy, and this was written again by Alberto Dominguez and Ray Charles. I'm assuming not the Ray Charles. No. Uh, okay. <laughs> right. Or the Ray Charles that we think of now, the other, like the Ray Charles singers, maybe. Um, <laughs> April 28th. It was written in 1939, so that would be, I think, before. Right, unless Ray Charles was incredibly ambitious. Um, (laughs) April 28th, 1963. I'm more familiar with Artie Shaw's version. I say this, I wonder sometimes if people believe me, but I should just explain to the audience, I grew up in a house where I had parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents all living in the same house. So uh, songs from the 30s and 40s were pretty relevant to me growing up. So I certainly heard Artie Shaw's version of this. And in fact, my father played a little clarinet, by the way. Um, Nori Paramore on piano, of course, with the shadows, Hank doing an incredible guitar solo on this. This is a real tour de force for the group, I think. I think it's a great tune. Really, really like it. I think it's a lot of, a lot of fun. And Frenesy in English is Frenzy, correct? Yes, yes. That's what I thought. My apologies to anyone listening in Spain. This is rough going, I'm sure. So we'll move on to a ballad here. This is Solamente Una Vez, written by Augustine Lara, I believe, is mm-hmm. how you pronounce the name. And this is, well, in English, the song was known as You Belong to My Heart, And again, we return to another song popularized by Bing Crosby. You belong to my heart 
And our love had its start Not long ago We were gathering stars While a million guitars played our love song Elvis recorded a not well he didn't really record a formal version of this he recorded an informal version of you belong to my heart as part of the million dollar quartet sessions at sun studios i doubt cliff and or the shadows or nori paramore would have even been aware of that when they recorded this we were there beneath the stars while a million guitars played our loves when they said i love you what do you think of Solamente Una Vez? Solamente Una Vez Amen la vida Solamente Una Vez Well, I mentioned earlier, I'm not much for the ballads, but I love this song. I love, love this song. To me, this is actually kind of a country western type of song. Mm. Very smooth, and it's just got that country twang to it. I don't know. I really think it's great tune. Yeah. it's To me, it's like old country. Yeah. Maybe even a little Tex-Mex. Oh, possible, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. You mentioned earlier about the uh, the connection to Spain. It's it's interesting. I was thinking about that. How um, I think the Shadows just always were enamored of that sound because they did a lot of. Uh, you think back to Yariva, uh, right? Um, Twenty One Today, and then this album, and the Los Shadows, and then Finders Keepers was set there, and they did a lot of Spanish music there. So I think they had some sort of connection to Spain that they really, really seemed to enjoy. Yeah, they did, and they really capture the spirit well. You know, because I could be driving around in a heavily industrialized part of New Jersey, but if I have this CD on as I'm driving around, I'm listening to it. I'm in Spain, you know, so it's like a cheap holiday. <laughs> anyway, um, the next cut is a song that should be very familiar to Americans especially. It's Via Con Dios, written by Larry Russell, Inez James, and Buddy Pepper. And this was also recorded April 30th, 1963. Strings added on May 14th, 63. And this song, I like this version of the song, I have to say, but it's one of those situations where the version by Les Paul and Mary Ford is so iconic. Uh, that's not a word I'll throw around loosely, but in this case, I think it works. It, it's so iconic that I just can't help but feel like that's the definitive version. Vaya con Dios, my darling. Vaya con Dios, my That's not to say that if someone comes along and they put their stamp on a song that any other cover is superfluous. But while this is enjoyable, it's just not uh, of the same caliber. And I guess I'm spoiled. 
by Les Paul and Mary Ford. No, I'm the same way. I mean, actually, I do like the song, um, but I was kind of more familiar with it by several country artists. I think it was Chet Atkins did a version. I want to say Jim Reeves did, too. So those kind of early, Connie Francis did one. Some of those I was more familiar with. And I'm also, I also find myself singing the English lyrics. It was originally written in English, except it used the Valle con Dios as the chorus. So that's what I'm more familiar with. And this is like, it's pleasant. It's not my favorite. <laughs> Cliff's version. Of- yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I mentioned that this was my second favorite Cliff Richard and the Shadows album. It doesn't sound like it so far. right? <laughs> um, so we're going to wrap up side one. The uh, last song, the next song is written by Otilia Portal. Me lo dijo Adela. Me lo dijo Adela. Ah, see, there you go. Uh, in English, it's sweet and gentle. And this was recorded in uh, May of 63, May 30th. This is another exciting performance from Cliff and especially The Shadows. Bruce featured very prominently on acoustic rhythm here and just sounding incredible. And this to me is a highlight of this record. Oh, real? Uh oh, not a fan? <laughs> this is probably one of my least favorite songs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do not like the song. Oh, no. It's under my skin. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll listen to it. It's just, it's just something about it. Just don't like. I really don't care for this song at all. Even the English, there's the English version, which Cliff also recorded. And I like that even less. <laughs> I guess we should talk about that for a little bit, because some of these tracks were repurposed. Yeah. And English versions were recorded and put on the Cliff Richard album of 1965. Mm -hmm. I wonder what the thinking was there. I mean, this was an album that sold really well. If you're a fan, you already owned these songs, albeit sung in Spanish. So by the time the Cliff Richard album comes along two years later, was there a desire on the part of fans to hear English language versions of songs they already owned? Or was it a case of the record label saying, hey, we don't have enough songs to make a a full-length album, let's just get some English versions of songs we don't have in English and just put it out. Uh, I think it's probably the latter. To, to me, that Cliff Richard album, it's it's nice, it's a pleasant enough album, but it's really, if you look back at it, it's made up of a lot of scraps of things that were in the studio that were kind of left over. 
Yeah. And uh, it was probably cheap and simple just to take these Shadows backing tracks and remove his Spanish vocals and just put on an English vocal. That's what a lot of that album is. Yeah, it's an album I compare to Elvis Presley's Something for Everybody. So when we get up to that album in our podcast timeline, that might be one that I'll ask the uh, TCB guys to uh, Justin and Gurdip to join in on. Uh, back to this album, though. We'll flip it over. We'll start with side two, track one. And this is one of my favorites from this album, Maria No Mas, or Maria No More in English. Right. This was written by Carlos Lira and Manuel Salina. You know, again, I apologize for any Spanish-speaking listeners who may be facepalming as they listen to this. <laughs> um, this was recorded May 1st, 63, overdubs again on May 28th. For me, this is one of the highlights of the record. I mean, it's just a really, really good pop song. Maria no más Es tu nombre y tal vez no sabrás Que prefiero que te alames tan solo Maria, Maria no más Maria no más Me pregunto qué secreto tendrás Que me gustas más que todas las otras Marías que yo conocí, María Elena. Maria. It's actually a Portuguese song. Oh. It translated it from Portuguese to Spanish. Huh. This is easily one of my favorite songs by Cliff Richard and the Shadows. Well, I'm glad we're back in agreement here. Right. Yeah. I think it's a fantastic song. It gets stuck in my head. I really, really like this song a lot. The th thing that I think is interesting about this is it was, uh, this is the only song of the Win in Spain songs that he never recorded an English version. You're right. I, I've never I heard I think one. it's probably because if you understand the lyrics to the song, it really wouldn't make much sense in English. It's just basically about a woman named Maria, and that's it. She doesn't need any other name because she's the best Maria there is. Maria <laughs> okay. right. I, believe, I believe him. I believe him. All right, uh, so we'll get to uh, the next song on side two, and it's Tus Besos, I think I'm saying this correctly, uh, written by Lionel Newman, which doesn't sound like a very Spanish name to me. Um, this was recorded on April 28th, 1963, with string overdubs on May 14th. I like the English version of this better. Ben, ben que Ven que te diré que sueño con tus besos Pues, pues yo ha de saber si me has de querer Y lo dirán tus besos Tú, tú comprenderás, tú por fin querrás You have to know the story behind a song too It's actually originally an English song Oh, yes. It was used in the 1953 film Niagara and sung by Marilyn Monroe. Kiss, kiss me, hold, hold me, kiss me, hold me, kiss me, hold me, kiss kiss me. And they translated to Spanish for this album. Well, I don't know if it's just for this album, but they, some point along the way, it transferred into Spanish. His original was just called Kiss. 
Yes, because Marilyn Monroe in Niagara is in that red dress. She's mm-hmm. very sultry, and she's like sitting on a stoop and singing this song, Kiss Me. It's like an invitation to everybody uh, at, <laughs> at the party where the, that's taking place. So, in other words, when in Spain, record an English song <laughs> with Spanish <laughs> lyrics. <laughs> then we have Quizás, Quizás, Quizás. I should have used Quizás. Yeah, this is, he would have a. Well, it's interesting to say that because just as a side note, in Spanish that's spoken like from South America, the, the Z has a has a S sound, but in Spain, it's got a, like a TH sound, like a soft TH sound. So Cliff sings it, quizás, quizás, quizás. I see. But I would know it as quizás, quizás, quizás. This is probably what the sessions were like, because Cliff had to learn all this stuff phonetically. <laughs> <laughs> so this one was written by Osvaldo Ferrer's, I believe. Ferrer's, something like that? Sure. Uh, April 29th, 1963. I'm more familiar with Nat King Cole's version. Siempre que te pregunto que cuando, como y donde tú siempre me respondes quizás, quizás, quizás. Cliff's version, it's, it's also a showcase for Bruce and Hank as well as Cliff because I think Bruce and Hank are really the stars of this recording. This is my third favorite cut on the album. Y así pasan los días y yo desesperado y tú contestando quizás, quizás, quizás And like you too, I, version I was familiar with was Nat King Cole, but yeah, I think it's a fantastic song. Very well done. The story I have to go along with this is that someone I host a radio show here in uh, New Jersey, and someone called my radio show and requested this song. This is before I had the When in Spain album or knew anything about this uh, recording, and they said, "Oh, it's called Kisaski Saski Sas," and I and of course I don't know how to spell that. You know, they're just saying it to me over the phone. So I'm looking and I'm looking, and finally I find what I think is the correct record. And I'm thinking, gosh, they requested this obscure song. Who the heck is? And the minute I hear it, I go, oh, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> I'm like, this is actually a very well-known song. I'm just not as worldly as I like to think I am. You won't admit you love me. And so how am I ever to know? You always tell me. I knew the Doris Day record. All right, up next on side two, I'm not even going to attempt it. Robert, you you want to give it give it a go? It's it's difficult. Te quiero, dijiste. Thank God for you, Robert Porter. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm here. I'm, I live in Texas, and we get exposed to a lot of Spanish here too. So, so this was written by Maria Graver, I think is how you pronounce her last name. I could be wrong. Um, Certainly no Maria, no Mas. And then uh, Charles Pasquale. Um, uh, and this was recorded on April 30th, 1963. The English version is Magic is the Moonlight, which, as we mentioned, is a song that was recycled for the Cliff Richard album of 1965. 
I love it, mm-hmm. but I do like the English version a lot more. If I was going to listen to a version of the song, it would be Magic is the Moonlight. Yakita Linda I think I'm I'm with you. It's it's a nice song. I like it, but yeah, it's I think I prefer the English version. But yeah, no, it's a very nice song on this album. Very well done. And like I said, it's you got to recall that these are the same backing tracks on both versions too. So I think the first time I heard the Cliff Richard album, I thought, God, this is so instantly familiar. Right. <laughs> I'm hearing this music. I said, there's something about this that just seems so familiar to me. And then I realized it's English versions of songs I already owned. So then we get to another one that I'm going to butcher. Cancion de Orfeo. Cancion de Orfeo. Orfeo. Okay. Um, written by Luis Bonfa, Hugo Peretti, Luigi Creator, Jesus Maria de Arozamina. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> and uh, if this sounds familiar, we just talked about it on this podcast when it was called Carnival. Cantar al corazón, la rosa de vivir. Cantará sin hablar ni sentir. Azul la mañana es azul. El sol. It's actually an interesting song. If you know some of the history of it, when, when I started really looking into it and I saw what in the world is Orfeo and what is this about? It it started kind of making sense what it was. This is the other one I said was originally a Portuguese song. The literal translation is the song of Orpheus. And you thought, what does Orpheus have to do with this? And why'd they write a song about him? Because it was from a, um, a 1959 Brazilian slash French film. And of course, in Brazil, they speak Portuguese. And so it was used in the film and uh, the film was called uh, Orfeo Negro, which is Black Orpheus. Right. And it was about the big carnival celebration in Brazil that they have every year. And so with all that in the back of my mind, it's like, oh, yeah, it has kind of a South American Brazilian feel to me. And that's why you see it about the carnival. It's kind of sad and melancholy in a way. And I'm not sure what the Orpheus reference is. But once I kind of knew the story of it, it's like, oh, it makes a lot more sense. And I actually really enjoy it. I think more just knowing the background of it. It has a haunting quality. You know, yeah. the melody has a very haunting quality, to it, no matter which version I'm listening to. So we get to the last track on mm-hmm. this album. And it's, here I go again, Quien Sera? Quien Sera. Quien Sera. All right. Yeah. And this is written by Pablo Beltran Ruiz. <laughs> <laughs> and recorded on April 29th, 1963. For anybody that's a fan of Star Trek, I just keep thinking of the actor Robert Beltran who played. <laughs> um, uh, what was his character's name on Star Trek Voyager? 
Yes. yes. Right. He was he was part of the Maquis. This could yes. be an entirely different podcast right now, Robert. We could go off <laughs> in another Trekian adventure. Brilliant. The fact that you were able to bring that information up so quickly tells me so much about you. Yes, it does. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, I know this song best as Sway by Dean Martin. If I were to hear this song or hear this melody, I would instantly think of Dean Martin. When marimba rhythms start to play Dance with me, make me sway Like a lazy ocean hugs the shore Hold me close, sway me more However, I would put this version of the song and the later English language version that Cliff recorded, I would put that in the same echelon as Dean Martin's version. I love this. I also think it's a perfect way to end this album. Quién será la que me quiera a mí? Quién será? Quién será? Quién será la que me dé su amor? Quién será? Quién será? Yo no sé si lo podrán encontrar. Yo no sé. Yo no sé. Yo no sé si podría. Yeah, I think it's a great song, and I'm with you too. I was always familiar with the Dean Martin one, so as soon as I heard this, it was like, oh, I know that song. Right. <laughs> and it, uh, it's a fantastic performance. Really, really good. As we sum this album up, I mean, it's certainly unusual, but it was the beginning of a trend, really, for. Cliff in the Shadows, because we would get a sequel. We would get When in Rome. <laughs> we would get an EP, When in France. What? Do you think it was a case of, well, you know, this is something different. Let's give this a try. Or was it, hey, we're doing well in these markets, so why not release some albums specifically for these audiences? I think it's almost kind of the opposite of it. Not that they weren't big, but they were really trying to break more into those markets. Mm. So let's go to there. Let's record something in their language, and uh, people would be more interested in Cliff Richard in the shadows. So it was, to a certain degree, it was a marketing tool. Well, <laughs> it comes across really well, and the fact that these did well in Britain is mm -hmm. is saying something. And I have to give Cliff some credit here. Certainly, he did a much better job handling the Spanish than I just did, going through all of mm -hmm. these titles. As we start to wrap up here, Robert, uh, do you have any final thoughts regarding when in Spain? Well, just in general, like I said, I think it was uh, it was a nice time for them. I think to reach out and do that. You got to think too. This is also kind of the height of of Cliff Richard and the Shadows' powers in 1963. So it's perhaps not a great surprise that it was a big hit. But yeah, I think he did a great job. You go back to his pronunciation. There are some, like I said, I know some Spanish. I know a Spanish enough Spanish to be dangerous. And there's some things when I hear his accent, sometimes it's like, oh, that's that wasn't good. Like <laughs> perfidia should be perfidia, but every once in a while he sings perfidia. I'm sure he has coach, you know, helping him along, but every once in a while he kind of slipped up. But but yeah, no, fantastic album. It's really one of my favorites of the Cliff Richard and the Shadows albums. I just like the flavor of it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Well, if someone listening to this wanted to check out your website, where again would they uh, have to go? Well, they don't have to go, but where would they want to go? <laughs> oh, that's easy. It's just cliffrichardsongs.com, all one 
One word. And the Move It mailing list, how do they join? Probably the easiest thing is just to email me. Uh, on the webpage, at the bottom of every page, I have my email contact. That's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Thanks so much, Robert. All right. I appreciate it. We can do this again in the future. My thanks once again to Robert Porter for appearing on the podcast. And next month, Erica White, co-host of BC The Beatles, returns to talk about the When in France EP. Oh, good. More stuff I can't pronounce. And the Love Songs EP and a couple of great singles from Cliff Richard and the Shadows. In the meantime, follow us on Facebook. Look for We Say Yeah. I'm on Twitter at We Say Yeah Pod. And you can also send us an email at We Say Yeah Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Until next month, do me a favor and say a little prayer that I'll get my passport in time for November. We say yeah. We say yeah.